in the names of God, creator, redeemer, sustainer. Amen. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This fourth Sunday of the Easter season is a wash in images of shepherds and flocks. This gospel passage and the 23rd Psalm from which its imagery derives. The original audience listening to Rabbi Jesus would have been more than familiar with the frequent use of images of sheep and flocks in scripture and in teaching. Years ago, when I dropped out of college for a bit of time that was graciously considered by the Dean of Students as a leave of absence, I lived on a farm in the Upper Connecticut Valley in New Hampshire. This farm raised blueberries and trees and was self-sustaining for its own produce. Living there was quite literally living off the land. Like most New England farmers, the man who owned the farm was responsive to his neighbor's needs. Farming in New England is not for the faint of heart, and you survive in solidarity with the other resolute souls who try to earn their living out of that stony ground and frequently harsh climate. One of the neighbors kept sheep, and when he would need to leave town for a time, we took care of his sheep. It was thus that I had a very short career as a not very capable shepherd, the mediocre shepherd, you might say. I'd grown up with all sorts of treacly Sunday school images of this passage from scripture, usually portraying a very white-looking Jesus smiling beneficently at very clean, very white sheep and lambs who all seemed to hang on his every word. The sheep put under my ministrations were not anything like this. If the Almighty ever made a sorrier creature than domestic sheep, I've yet to meet it. They were constantly getting themselves stuck in precarious locations from which they couldn't figure out a safe retreat, were generally quite filthy and bedraggled, were susceptible to all manners of diseases in that climate, and had to be constantly protected from the wild animals that lived up the hill on a rich man's private game reserve whose fences were constantly breaking down and releasing carnivores. And they surely did not listen to my voice. Were it not for the incredibly intelligent Shetland sheepdog that the farmer had, who usually looked at me while I was attempting to care for the sheep in a way that suggested she thought I was the second sorriest creature the Almighty had ever made, things would not have turned out well. But this experience got me thinking about sheep as a metaphor. If this is one of the near constants of how Jesus refers to humanity, I decided back then, I was deeply insulted. This was a metaphor for humanity. This group of hapless, helpless, vulnerable creatures who had a huge propensity for getting themselves into all sorts of trouble, who acted as a group, running or stumbling from place to place, running when afraid or threatened without any clear plan for dealing with the threat at hand. As the years have passed, and I've had a few more life experiences, I've come to think of our hapless state as humans as not that unlike the state of sheep I knew up close and personal for a period of time. Sheep are a group without a manifest sense of solidarity and often show no real strategy or purpose. Their interdependence seems obvious to the outsider, but they offer little evidence that it's part of their own lived experiences. And any given flock shows no awareness that it's not the only flock of sheep on the planet. This is far from Rabbi Jesus' musing on one flock, one shepherd. We've just passed through a week where two extraordinary events occurred, one in Minneapolis and one via the ubiquitous meeting place of this time, Zoom. Both, I would argue, show our increasing sense of being one flock, one people. Both, I would argue, were hallmarks, perhaps not of justice, 
but at least of the increasing sense of accountability towards other humans. Let us consider the Zoom event first. The past week saw us celebrate Earth Day, a sometimes hollow event in a remarkable way. Simply, and with breathtaking audacity, President Biden called on us to rejoin the community of other people on this planet in an attempt to save it. With rather quiet reserve and resolution, he simply asked us to rejoin the world community in a common purpose and called on us all to make some significant changes in the way we live to achieve that. Our lives and the lives of our children and their children and generations to come quite depend upon our resolve in this moment. We are stewards, not rulers of creation. We received it in trust, and we have by and large done a dreadful job. We have squandered the gifts we've received in the natural world and have despoiled it. It is not too late, we can only hope, to repent our course and stave off disaster. We can only achieve this high purpose by acknowledging that we are all one flock. Anything that happens on part of the planet happens through the consequences of our actions or lack of actions, and we are here in a profound and abiding responsibility to one another. In order to achieve this, people like us in this congregation will be asked to give up some of the privileges and things we have had and somehow come to believe delusionally were our birthright. We will be asked to live more simply that others may simply live. It will be a set of choices that will change some of our ways. We must recognize it as a people of faith for what it is. In some sense, it is a political dialogue, as Aristotle imagined those conversations in the public space, driven by matters of scientific fact. But it is also a moral choice, a religious choice. If we are one flock on this poor battered planet, then we must all be responsible for each other. We make this promise in our baptismal vows and repeat them at every baptism we attend. It is a choice that is simple, if not easy like many moral choices. The murder of black people by the forces of this state is not a new story. It has been part of the American story, part of our story, for over 400 years. It was a central part of our life as a society long before George Floyd was murdered and continued unabated after that moment. It continued this last week. What was new was the ability of another part of the forces of the state to hold someone accountable for the murder of one black man. This is not justice. The man will not be returned to his family. This is not justice. A single trial's verdict will not reverse a practice that has been intrinsic to our life as a nation for centuries. But it does represent something we, as a people who follow Jesus, can recognize. It is a sort of collective confession and repentance. And we believe that there is no redemption, there is no possibility of forgiveness, without an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. In our baptismal service, we make a collective promise to resist those forces which corrupt and destroy the children of God. I have seen over the years any of a number of diseases which do just that. I spend as many of my waking hours as I can fighting them. But I also recognize that a knee to the throat to asphyxiate someone over nine minutes is also a force that corrupts and destroys a child of God. As Nelson Mandela simply put it, we can talk of forgiveness once the boot is off our throat. Repentance has as its etymologic root the Latin verb repentir, to change direction or course. In the oldest parlance, a boat repented its course when it tacked or came about. As a people, 
as a nation, as a society, it is high time we repent our course. We, as a community of faith, can look on the events in Minneapolis and say that George Floyd was recognized as a human being, a member of the one flock. His death was just as important, no more and no less, than any of ours. And we must acknowledge that as often and as publicly as we can, we cannot, we must not accept the ongoing slaughter of members of the one flock as anything other than what it is, a force that destroys and corrupts the creatures of God. The dead are destroyed. The killers are corrupted. And Rabbi Jesus has insisted that we accept and acknowledge our relationship with all other humans as members of the one flock. Our lives are inextricably tied together. Our identities are a common one. St. Leonard Cohen put it this way, if it be your will, if there is a choice, let the rivers fill, let the hills rejoice. Let your mercy spill on all these burning hearts in hell, if it be your will to make us well. And draw us near and bind us tight, all your children here in their rags of light. In our rags of light, all dressed to kill, and end this night, if it be your will. This gospel story, therefore, is somewhat deceptive. It has been sanitized, or perhaps better said, reduced to something that is toothless and harmless, something to soothe the children to bed at night. It is anything but that. I find its call to solidarity with everyone on the planet demanding, audacious, breathtaking. The ones not of our fold, seemingly, and the ones of our fold, until we see us as God sees us, one flock, one people. This story makes the extraordinary claim that there is no other. There is no one whose life is not inextricably tied up in yours. There is no one for whom you and I do not ultimately bear responsibility and share kinship. There is no other that we can somehow exclude, oppress, deny, destroy, without destroying, denying, oppressing, or excluding a member of our own family and flock. This is the dream of God, that humanity sees itself as God sees it, one people, one flock. And we need to begin living that in a way that acts as if our lives depend upon it, because they do. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Amen.